Welcome to We Are Recording. This show is all about talking to incredible people and hearing their stories, how they got to where they are today. And the first couple shows will be familiar because there are people that I've talked to in the past and that I've had on other shows, but maybe we're going to go a couple layers deeper. We're not always going to be on a linear path. They're conversations, so we could go anywhere. And going forward, the shows are just going to get better because you're going to hear from more amazing people and from people that you've never heard of on my other shows before. I have this great list of people that I'm going to try to get on this show. And if I can hit like 10% of what's on that list, this show is going to be incredible. And it's going to be a lot of fun to do. And you're going to love listening to it. So make sure that you're subscribed because new shows are going to come out every single Wednesday. Watch out for that. I've already recorded about four or five episodes, and they're just getting better every single time. I was very fortunate to have a great set of guests for these first four or five episodes, and it's only going to get better. Thank you so much for subscribing, listening, and I hope you enjoy it. And welcome to the first recording for Are We Recording? A brand new show for a brand new network, the FitCast Network, which is more or less like this is the first thing, first piece of audio that's been recorded for this new network. And my first guest on this show, and I'll explain what this show is really about in a second, but... I really need to introduce my first guest because he's he's on the line. And he's all he can do is listen to the birds chirping outside my apartment, which I think is a really good sign. Um, but that first guest is Brian Patrick Murphy. I cannot believe I'm your first guest. This is the most exciting thing I've ever done in my life, Kevin Larrabee. <laughs> well, let, well, let me let me explain what this is all about because yes. uh, by the time that you hear this, you know, hey, look at look, this is what the this is the cryptic thing that Kevin's been working on for the last couple of weeks, <laughs> which is which has been the idea of launching a podcast network where a new show is coming out every single day of the week, Monday through Friday. I'm going to take Saturday and Sunday off, but actually, I'll probably be recording for the next week on those on those weekends. But um, really. The, the point of this show, Are We Recording, which is an idea that I had a couple months ago, was that I get to talk to all these great people in the industry. And there's, there's other people that I want to talk to, but I think for the initial, the initial maybe four or five episodes, you're going to hear mostly from people that you've heard on, on the FitCast or actually even back in my play, um, which is another podcast that I did and that will be coming back with the network. But... Uh, it's about talking to really interesting, successful people, their stories, the obstacles that they've run into, their failures and their successes, and really talking to interesting people that have – and this is why I'm so excited because I'm, I'm going to get to talk to interesting people, great people, and just go a couple layers deeper than – you know, talking about specifically what they do for their career, because I think the real person is behind all that stuff. The real person usually isn't the career, usually isn't, you know, that that top layer. Um, 
And I think, I think you're a perfect person to talk to because oh man, you, you've you've made uh, you know a transition from you know acting. Mm-hmm. I, mean, not, I wouldn't even say a transition because it, it, I, I see a video that pops up on Facebook and hopefully <laughs> everyone's seen this by now of you and some of the other people at MFF recreating that beautiful 1980s <laughs> ex, like group exercise video that is like – and that – I can't tell you how many times I watched that. Uh, it's watched so that epic. Well, it, I, I mean you've had – Let's let's before we get into that. And again, the, the the cool thing about this show is that I I have a direction for it, but I have no idea what the show is going to be because I have this whole list of I have a list of two hundred and twelve people <laughs> that I want to wow. have on this show, and it's people like people that I probably never get, you know. But there's there's a lot of people like I think the the next thing that I'm going to rec- be recording uh, is actually. Uh, another actress, and then I'm going to be talking to uh, an author. Um, and actually, mm-hmm. all three of my first guests, they all live in New York, which is really weird. Maybe that's a sign that New York is a place where things are really happening. Maybe yes, come to that. us. Come to us, Kevin. It's either New York or it's Los Angeles. But um, yeah, I, I, again, this is just me rambling for, for a second, but it's kind of the this is the test. This is the first show. This is the this is the pilot. And it's going to be messy, I think. But uh, and that's why you can hear the birds outside. It's okay. You're going to hear some birds. I'll try to I'll try to edit them out of the show. But <laughs> if they're in there, they're in there. But again, uh, I want to take a I want to take a, a, a trip back in the time machine. Sounds and, great. And I, I want to start with with acting because mm-hmm. I, I got to imagine like a lot of times for for people that. Uh, do get into acting. It really needs to start at at a young age, starting in you know the whatever the fifth grade play, and then trying to do some stuff locally, and then going from there. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's exactly what happened for me. I mean, I what, uh, first what, of all, when did you know you wanted to act? Like, was it something oh that you saw on TV, or you were like personally? If I ever wanted to do like any acting or something like that, it was because of Saturday Night Live. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people say that actually that I went to school with. Um, for me, you know, the, the truth is uh, I can be long winded, so I'm not going to let myself be that. Um, I never realized it was actually possible. I know that sounds weird. I'm, I'm 37 and grew up in the 80s and early 90s in uh, kind of the mid south. And um, I just didn't quite grasp that acting or singing or dancing was something that was a real viable job, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, I grew up wanting to be, you know, Michael Jordan, right. Or Andre Dawson was my favorite baseball player. Um, so I never really thought about it, but I did know that I loved to sing and I loved to be on stage. Uh, and you're right from, that was from a very young age. You know, I grew up singing in the church choir, stuff like that. And probably in fourth grade, um, I did like a school play and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, you know, that continued on through middle school. And then in high school, it started to be something that started to catch my interest even more than sports did, which was probably very strange for my family um, and anybody that knew me because I just wanted to play every sport and just be outside. And not that I was really great at any of them, but I was just so active. 
Um, and, and then by the time I, f- I finished high school, I went on to college and then I majored in, uh, I was a theater major. So, um, that's, you know, that's kind of the rundown variation of what that happened. And once I got to college, I was like, oh my gosh, now this is about how to figure out how to do this as a business, not just, hey, I like to be up on stage and have people clap for me. Well, is it, but for people, when, when you were in school for this, mm-hmm. uh, like going to school for, for theater, mm-hmm. What was, I guess, what was the mindset across the board with your with your classmates? Because I got to guess that there there really isn't a ton of middle ground for for actors, or, or maybe there is where you can kind of just live like I don't know, like a middle class life or being an actor. It's either, you know, from the outside I'm looking at it, it's like yeah. you're either getting into like major motion pictures, you have a TV mm-hmm. show or you just hear the story of someone like, I guess like a Jay Moore, I would consider mm-hmm. to be that middle ground of someone who's like had a little bit of success, but he kind of like always stays in the middle. He never really made it huge. And mm-hmm. then there's also like another group of people that they just never get that shot. They move out to LA, they go and do it for a year and they either, you know, completely, you know, bomb out or, you know, they, they have to hit success because otherwise it's impossible to live out there. Yeah. Great question. I have so many thoughts on this. It's something that i think about every day still, even though I'm, you know, retired from that business. Um, well, first off, everybody has their own definition of what success is, right? Um, so for me, I remember being in school thinking to myself, what I wanted at the time, and this is going back to the late 90s, was I just wanted to work as an actor. And I defined work as getting paid to be on stage or on screen or whatever that was. Um, that, that was my definition. Uh, some people could look at that as a failure, and that's fine. Um, but I was able pretty young to say to myself that this is about me, you know, what I wanted. Um, you know, I would even use your examples, Jay Moore, to say, you know, Jay Moore's still in the top one or two percent of actors of all time. I mean, that guy's I, no doubt in my mind, he's a millionaire. So if that's middle class, then, you know, uh, I feel really bad for a lot of we uh, people that I put in my category as, as the working actors. Right. And, um, you know, if you think but I, I do appreciate what you said of kind of the more middle kind of class actor. And to me, that's tends to be the people that you don't even realize that maybe you've seen them in a couple episodes of some TV shows. Um, and they might do, uh, some regional theater gigs around the country. There's all sorts of, you know, there's hundreds of professional theaters around America. Mm-hmm. And that was my career as an actor. I did a couple shows in New York, um, traveled the world and the United States a couple different times with, with, uh, big national tours, uh, and international tours of, of big Broadway musicals. Um, but I, I certainly never made, uh, millions of dollars or even close to it. Um, but I looked at myself, you know, in hindsight, I can look at myself and say, I kind of was one of those more lower middle-class actors that was in that range of, I worked a lot. Um, I had a pretty good reputation of, of people, you know, that had worked with me, that respected me. Um, but I certainly, nobody was knocking down my door for me to play Superman, you know? Um, so that, you know, there's all different uh, levels there. So, uh, I hope that gives you some clarity. Yeah. And and this is, I'm so far on the outside from this. Mm-hmm. That, that's why it's so great to, to talk to you. Like my my 
I'm always really fascinated to read biographies of, of actors and comedians and stuff like that yeah. because it, it actually like it sounds like there's just so many so few people actually right off the bat hit success like they get mm-hmm. in a commercial and then someone sees them in a commercial and be like hey you're going to be perfect for this movie called Star Wars like it, right, I think right. you're, you're going to be great for it and um, the the thing that I've kind of seen across the board is that there is just piles and piles of of i wouldn't necessarily call it failures but mm-hmm. you know declines like people you like you don't get that part you don't oh get God, that yeah. job and that has to be it has to be absolutely brutal and it almost needs to breed a certain type of person to be able to at the end of the day like make it through all that 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 you know, all those turndowns. Oh yeah. I actually think that's a great point, Kevin. And, um, the reason why I think that that's, what's helped us at MFF at Mark Fisher Fitness so much is Mark and I both come from that kind of middle-class actor background where we both worked a lot. We knew everybody, we had done a good job, but we weren't big stars. So I say that because I also, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I used to be a college professor as well. I taught theater at a college for a year. That's right. Before you, you, you got pulled over to MFF. Well, actually I was doing both of those at the same time. I'd said yes to be a teacher a week before Mark said, let's start, you know, MFF. So anyway, they were happy at the same time, but I used to tell all my students, I would say, Hey, listen, no matter what kind of jobs you're auditioning for the, uh, the rate that you can look at it is, you might get, if you're lucky, one job out of every 100 auditions you go to. So that means you're being told 99 out of 100 times. Um, that's statistically pretty accurate for all actors. Now, that doesn't even mean that that could be going to 100 auditions for jobs that barely pay a penny. Mm-hmm. Um, Sitting out at, in the hall with you know, sure. 10 other people that look almost exactly like you. Or- oh. Uh, 10, you know, you mean a hundred. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's obviously how Mark and I know each other. We're about the same age. We both have dark hair. You know, I mean, it's like, that's how we knew each other. That's where we met in the hallway in an audition. That's a true story. And it's, and and it's like, you're, you're basically, I think the word that I was looking for when I was trying to pose that to you was like, you have to be able to overcome the adversity of just constant turndowns, declines, and what what does that do to you psychologically? Were you just were you just such a positive person that you're like, oh well, I'll just get the next one? Mm. Well, I, what it will do to you is it will probably make you or break you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no negative judgment towards the people that say f this. Um, I'm not doing that anymore mm-hmm. because you know what? I totally get that. I totally understand that. That's a lot. Uh, but for people that it's their real striving passion in their life and they're committed to it, I have great respect for, uh, the ones that, that, that pound the pavement every day to make it work. Um, because you're right. I mean, you're going to hear no a lot. Uh, I'm going to tell you a quick story that I think will help with this. I have a friend, um, I'll name drop here, but his name is, uh, Patrick Healy and he's a, uh, he writes as a journalist for the New York times. Mm -hmm. And he had been a political correspondent back in, I guess that was, uh, 2008, he was following the Hillary Clinton's campaign, and then he got out of politics and started writing about theater and entertainment, and now he's back on the political trail, too. So if you read anything in the Times about uh, uh, this uh, 
uh, electoral season, you're, you're most likely if it's uh, it's Patrick Healy. Anyway, he and I uh, were chatting one day and he had done a big feature story on Scarlett Johansson. And it was really interesting because he had interviewed her for a couple hours. And here's Scarlett Johansson. She's been on Maxim Magazine's cover, you know, Sexiest Woman Alive. Uh, I mean, she's been in, what, 30 big-time movies probably. Huge superstar. Huge superstar. And he was telling me how in the interview she was saying, hey, listen, I'm still terrified that I'm not going to get my next job. And I was thinking to myself, what Scarlett Johansson think feels that way. She makes $45 million a year, you know, at least. Um, and it was really mind blowing because she kept saying, yeah, that's, you know, I still get told no, most of the time I still go to auditions every week and don't get the job. And I, and I should have known that that was the case, but I was almost in disbelief that I'm thinking to myself, of, we, we all make up these stories that, oh, those people are so famous that they don't even have to like audition. And, you know, I would think like, well, Scarlett Johansson, she doesn't have to go to audition. Surely they just call her and offer her every job. And that certainly wasn't the case. And that was a really important lesson for me that is no matter what level you're at, um, that even people like that who are massively successful as actors are still just sitting around kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to get my next job? Mm -hmm. And I can certainly relate to that, remembering being an actor. Uh, even I did one show, the longest time I ever worked with a show was um, over two years, I did the same show. And every day uh, for, you know, 110 weeks straight. And um, I remember even in the middle of that thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what's my next job going to be? It was always right there on the front of my brain thinking, what's next? Am I ever going to work again? And uh, I can say that almost every actor I've ever spoken to, well, I, actually every actor I've ever spoken to feels that way. And that's a very interesting place to feel. Which show was that? That was Legally Blonde, the musical. So how many episodes, are you, episodes, how many, <laughs> how many shows throughout that run did you do? Um... Not quite 800, I think. When you do a show like that, and this is something that I was thinking about, because everyone's talking about uh, Alexander, uh -huh. uh, right? Or Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I knew what you meant. Okay. Um, and the thing that, that I was thinking about as everyone's talking about this, like, oh, they're going to do this show, you know, forever. Is that, I mean, I guess you can only kind of uh, speak for yourself personally, but is that something that is attractive to you as an actor, knowing that, well, basically, I only need to know this two uh, these two hours of, of of dialogue or whatever, something like that. And that's like if you're if you're a lead, you got to know like two hours of dialogue. Once you have that locked in, you basically can not go on autopilot, but you know what your lines are going to be. You don't have to constantly start learning the lines for next week's episode or something like that. Is that attractive, or is it like just really? like not as fulfilling because you're kind of stuck with the same material week after, or I guess, you know, two times a day sometimes. Yeah, it's actually a great question. And the answer of course is everybody, everything and everyone is contextual and it's different for everyone and every show. Mm -hmm. um, what I found for me is the most important things, which I still agree to this day on any job is it's about the people that you're being surrounded by and with. So the shows that were my favorite uh, actually, Legally Blonde happened to be one of them. 
Um, the things I loved about it were I loved the people I worked with. The show was really fun. So I could go to work and know that I was going to have a good time and it made people happy. And so I liked those things about it. And, um, frankly, it was a very good steady paycheck. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed that, uh, as an actor, I've done other shows that, um, I didn't make as much money and they didn't last as long, but I really enjoyed them. And I, but I missed the consistency of the good paycheck. Right. So it's, it's all over the place. And I had done, 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 may only last a day. I did a bunch of different commercials. And in my twenties, I used to do a lot of modeling work. Um, please don't make fun of me. And, uh, um, but those weren't, uh, artistic, right? Like I might just show up for a day and, um, say a couple lines or get some pictures taken. And that wasn't fulfilling artistically, but it certainly paid well, <laughs> you know? So there, there, there's all, you know, you think about the people in Hamilton. Um, if you're somebody that likes consistency and you're enjoying the show that you're doing, you might stick around for a long time. Mm -hmm. But if you're somebody that says, you know what, I've done this now and I really value the new and creating something from scratch experience. Um, there are certainly a lot of artists out there that will give up on the consistency aspect of the job for the opportunity to create something new. Um, no different than an entrepreneur, right? A lot of entrepreneurs right. do that. You start a company, it's going really well. And you're like, oh my God, why did they step away from that? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and they're like, well, because I want to create, I, I, I need to do something else. So uh, I think that's kind of where everybody's constantly trying to um, negotiate that, that feeling, that aspect. Have you ever thought about uh, like, have you ever had the urge to be like, I'm not getting, this isn't, these aren't the parts that I want. I'm not getting the parts that I want. I'm not getting to, to do what I want to do. Screw it. I'm just going to write. I'm going to, I'm going to write my own, you know, whether it be play or, you know, mm -hmm. pilot or, or short film or whatever. Have you ever had that urge to just say like, screw it. And did you, did you try? Did you, did you do any of that? Yeah. Um, well, yes and no. Um, I always still to this day say that someday I'm even getting nervous and my heart's beating thinking about it, but, but someday I would, what would take me back to acting is someday I'd love to write or co-write, mm -hmm. um, produce and star in some sort of, I don't know what, um, about my dad. Uh, my dad's my hero and, uh, is a really interesting, larger than life character, super successful, uh, great guy crazy. Um, but that would get me back into it. And I, for years I've been working on some sort of manuscript or book about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I could see myself doing that, but to go back further to when I was actually a, a full-time actor, um, not so much my own writing, but I, my college, one of my college best friends and roommates, um, was a really good writer. And finally, right when I was coming out of acting and getting into Mark Fisher fitness, he wrote a play that got picked up by a, a festival here in the city was called the Fringe Festival. It's a very famous festival of, of new plays. And uh, he submitted for it. Um, it got accepted. And uh, I ended up being one of the head producers of it and starring in the show that played here in New York that my college roommate um, wrote. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. I had never done something like that before. So I didn't write it, but I definitely was a part of, you know, every aspect of it. I guess I, I, if you don't mind, let's go back to the show about your dad. 
Uh, Please do. I mean, if, if you're okay talking about it, like what, what's that premise? Do you, I mean, if, if an ideal world, perfect scenario, you get to just make the rules for mm-hmm. this thing or mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're writing this, you're producing this, you're starring in it. And mm-hmm. is, are you finding someone to play your dad? Uh, or I would play my dad and then have to find somebody to play me. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so like yeah. you, you as a, you know, a four-year-old or something like that, or a five-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm always interested in father-son stories. Mm-hmm. You know, they really affect me when I read them or, um, watch them. Um, you know, in the way that I just watched the movie room, which was a really great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that the, the mother son story really affected my wife, even though we don't have children uh, yet, God willing. Um, but it really affected her because she wants to be a mom someday. But uh, you know, the stories that have always really connected to me on screen, were like the movie life is beautiful, which is my favorite film of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the father son story there. And, right. you know, of course a lot of that is because of the relationship I have with my own father. Uh, so I've, that's, that's, you know, the reason I, I'm connected to it. And there's always been a lot of mystery to my dad, even though he and I are super close. Um, th- there's a, there's a sense of mystery about him to this day. Um, then I think he even knows that he has, um, and a, a kind of a natural darkness that, um, <laughs> that it really attracts me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, and, and by the way, you're so welcome and open to ask me questions about that because, uh, um, yeah, I could talk about it all day. Well, I was going to ask you, what does he do? Well, my dad, my dad, um, now is, he's a recently retired federal court judge. Mm-hmm. He was appointed by president Clinton. Wow. And now he's back to practicing law as an attorney again, which is really remarkable for many reasons. Number one, because when you're a federal court judge appointed to the federal bench, you're appointed for life. Uh, and it's a lifelong appointment, meaning that you get paid every day of your life till the day you die and have full benefits. So, of course, everybody says, well, when that includes when you retire. So, of course, most people say, well, gosh, when you retire, why would you go back to work? Um, but that's exactly what my dad did. He retired on a Friday and went back to work on Monday. Um, and that's one of the intriguing things about him because that's just who he is. Um, but other, the other interesting things about him that, that, that I love so much is that he is a, a, a Vietnam veteran, a Marine mm-hmm. and, um, the first ever Vietnam veteran, Marine Corps, Vietnam veteran appointed to the federal bench, wow. which is a really big thing. And he certainly didn't have any political allies or any political connections. It just really came from his, um, true, um, I should, I mean, I, this sounds so narcissistic as my dad, but greatness of what he did. He wasn't this big multi mega millionaire, wealthy, politically connected guy. He truly, you know, got the position by his, on his merit and his service. Um, and, uh, you know, and his life story is way more interesting than that, which is he's the oldest of five kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the poorest family in the entire county. And both of his parents died really young. And he uh, basically uh, fought and clawed and uh, started working from the time he was 12 years old to raise the rest of his siblings. Um, and it's a really it's kind of the American version of if you ever read the book Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt, um, yes. which – yeah, it, it, my dad's family is kind of like the American version of that. Um, just utter poverty mm-hmm. um, and, and really turned into being 
extremely successful in life. That's, um, I mean, maybe we'll talk about this. Like the, the thing mm-hmm. that, that blows me away by some actors and, and people that are able to produce this stuff is, is not necessarily like, I guess how, I guess it really doesn't come easy to everyone. But when I see things like, uh, recently I started watching always sunny in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, which is like, you know, two of the, the main actors on the show created the show and they write like a ton of the episodes. Like, I just mm-hmm. don't know how you can find the creative juice to, to do all that stuff because like, I look at that as like almost a, a dream as a dream thing for me is being able to have that kind of creativity to be able to, and I think we've talked about this, like being able to have the creativity to produce that much fiction, to produce that much material uh, and make it entertaining for, for other people Mm -hmm. seems like an incredible feat. Um, Oh yeah. So I I was kind of curious, like for, for you, um, for the people that you've worked with, for the people that you know, um, do you see that this is just the, those those people? They they just have a particular set of of traits, or they're just uh, almost like a specific demographic that you can kind of point to. It's like those are the people that just constantly are just spewing creativity, and it just doesn't stop. What a great question! Um, here's what I think. I think that the people that are writers, they, they have something about them that loves to tell stories and they are very um, aware of their surroundings. So most things, I would venture to say, most people that write fiction or whether that's TV or film or books, whatever that is, they're probably based on either something they've experienced and then they just take like either one step or millions of steps, some sort of relationship and they... Uh, that relationship can mean anything to, and they take it somewhere um, or have one idea and they go from Brian and Kevin, you know, and then they just have these two names and then all of a sudden that goes into one more, you know, step and then it keeps going. But what I think those people do is they're really aware of what's happening around them. They really listen and they're able to create stories from anything. Um, so I, I, that's probably not a great answer, but it is a great question. I, I, I guess the skill is listening mm. and being aware of their surroundings. Um, and I, I love writers for that. They, they, the most important thing I'm going to go back to your first sentence or two of that last paragraph is that so many people today, just like entrepreneurs, when it comes to artists, is they they come to a moment, and I've talked to so many people about this, where they say. Nobody else is going to do this for me. Mm-hmm. I've got to do this for myself. I've got to create something and I have to take, which, you know, me as a life coach, I'd say that's somebody taking their own power back. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll still coach a lot of people that are actors or artists that are trying to take the next step in their career. And what they end up finding out is, oh, I'm giving all the casting directors and producers, I'm giving them my power because I'm showing up saying, here's what I do. And a lot of them end up saying, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying what they do. They end up saying, you know what? That's not a very powerful place to be. A way more powerful place to be is for me to create something and say, here's who I am and and do it themselves. Right. Just like you're doing with this, this new show. That's exactly what you're doing. It's, it's like, Hey, I'm going to do something new. 
Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I've got to try something new. I've got to create something new and it's for me, it's for myself. Yeah, sure, to help people and all these other things, but um, but that's what I find really great about writers is people say, you know, oh, there's there's not another show for a, I don't even know, I'm not going to make a stereotype here, for a XYZ, mm-hmm. so I'm going to write it for myself and I'll create my own show. You know, um, I was just, I watched last week the first, uh, I've never seen the show new girl with Zoe Deschanel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my God, that's exactly what Zoe Deschanel did. She wanted to create her own show. So she wrote it, produced it and stars in it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it. She created this character and I'm sure that character has bits of who she really is in it. Um, or it's just something that she's like, this would be really fun to do. So I'm going to create it. Uh, and I think that's, what's really wonderful about writers and, and creators and the artists that take a, a step into their own power. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I've gone through like fits and spurts where I wanted to do, um, short, like, and uh-huh. this is a great thing about the internet. Um, you can basically, you can, you want your own TV show? Guess what? YouTube.com. That's right. You have, you can put, you can put your show up now. You have a, an opportunity with a thousand dollar laptop and a copy of, you know, Final Cut Pro, you can make a, I mean, with the, okay, this is getting into technology for a second, but mm-hmm. my, my iPhone shoots 4k video, right? Like I can, and this is why I've been doing lots of educational stuff, like looking into to Final Cut Pro, because one of the things that I want to do with this FitCast network, and I don't know when this is going to come up, but a, another component of it is going to be video because I just, I love the idea and the creativity that video production gives you because with these tools today, you can more or less do whatever you want. You could make a, you know, on $500, you can make a sci-fi movie as long as you're willing to put the time into it. Sure. Um, so the thing that, that I've always run into, and, and I guess that maybe the, the question for you is like, for, for me, like I, like you, like I want to do everything. I want to like, I almost want to be behind the camera, but I want to mm-hmm. be in it because I want to see like, I don't know, can I act? Like, is that something mm-hmm. that if given, you know, words, if put in front of a camera, do you, could I actually do something that's convincing? And like, I should be able to do a better job than the people in uh, Sharknado, you know, mm-hmm. right? Like I should be able to <laughs> act better than that. I, I have to be able to do it. Um, like, or, or, or something along those lines. So I, I guess, the the thing that I'm saying is if uh, for for you or I guess for anyone, how do you how do you find the right people to work with and how do you mm. how do you let go of of some of that stuff? Like even I've seen it with the certification stuff that I do. Like at some point you have to let other people do some of that work. You can't do all that stuff. Mm. Um, so I guess how do you find the right people and then how do you almost convince yourself? Or how do you become more comfortable with allowing people to speak your words or trust mm. them to do what you want them in the scene without having to do it a thousand times? Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. I mean, well, the, the, the question also can be asked because I think you're talking about actors and writers. Yeah. But I think it's the same thing in business. I mean, it's the same question. I yeah. think that people people is the most important thing um, to me. Um and I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I've always said that I would rather take somebody who's slightly less 
quote unquote talented. Mm-hmm. And ta- that could mean as an actor or that could mean um, as a trainer. If we're hiring a new trainer, I'd rather find a trainer that's slightly less knowledgeable about, I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever the hip new thing of the day is um, this week. So is that so like you can almost I mean, we, we do the same thing at our gym where we kind of like don't want someone to come in with this whole mindset of how they want to coach people. No, we want yeah. you to coach people how we want you to coach people. And mm-hmm. are you are you kind of like I'm kind of jumping on you a little bit and I'm doing a bad job as an interviewer. No, but no, no, no. I hear you. But with that, is it like, all right, well. I kind of just want them to have full trust in me and to not have enough experience to question it. Uh, Maybe, but more for me, I say yes to that. But more importantly for us, it's about how you're going to communicate with your coworkers and the quote unquote clients as a human. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not that I have a problem if people have great knowledge. I think that's important, but it's more so what is your wisdom like? Mm-hmm. You know, how are you communi- How are you willing to communicate? How are you willing to play in the sandbox with the rest of the team? Um, that's way more important to me and to us as if we're talking about my, you know, Mark Fisher Fitness, that's what we're looking for way more. Um, maybe you know a lot. I don't want to judge somebody for knowing a lot, but are you willing to look at things from a different perspective? And are you willing to uh, say that maybe you're right and maybe you're wrong, mm-hmm. but it doesn't ultimately ultimately matter unless you're able to be a kind and generous person and be able to communicate with somebody, um, somebody's humanity. That's way more important to me. A lot of, uh, a lot of acting is building trust, right? That's what I hear. Oh yeah. Like it's building trust, you know, not only with your, your own abilities, but also with the, the people that you're working with. If it's like, whether it's improv or whether it's a sex scene or whether it's a, you know, just trying to, make whatever you're doing uh, believable. So have you run mm-hmm. into, have you ever run into any issues with the people mm-hmm. that you've worked with in, in, in terms of those factors? Um, I'm sure that I have, but, you know, there's always naivete, so I don't know. You know, that's why we rehearse things. You know, mm-hmm. I, most of the work I did was on stage. Um, I I really didn't do anything for the, the, the small screen or the big screen. That's because I live in New York. That was, you know... My career was I was a stage actor. Mm-hmm. So most of the time when you're a stage actor, you're if you're involved with the show from the beginning, you have, you know, three, four, five weeks to rehearse. And during those three or four or five weeks is when you build the trust. And frankly, if you can't do the job, then you'll get fired. I mean, right. you, you know, that's it. That's so that's your trust should be there's an extensive casting process. Mm-hmm. So that's a casting director's job is to get you in the room with your agent or whatever. And then it's the producers and the director's job to hire you when they see your talent to see if you fit the description. So it's not like I'm coming in to play a role of a a 90 year old woman, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that sing soprano like, well, yeah, I'd totally fail at that because that's not what I do. That's not who I am. So, you know, if you're you're putting me in your show, there has to be an inherent level of this person is right, quote unquote, right for what they are doing Mm -hmm. um, for for what this show is. So hopefully that 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 begins the process is that everybody 
Um, hopefully the director is going to trust the actor. The actor hopefully is going to trust the director. But there's certainly a lot of stories out there that you can find very easily on the Internet of of arguments and fights that, that actors get into with directors and um, producers get into with directors because all of a sudden something happens and they say, well, I don't agree with the direction this is going. But what I can say in my own career is that did not happen a lot. I was very fortunate. Um, and, you know, the most kind of tense situation I was ever in was I, I um, got – I, I replaced somebody at the last second in a play here in New York in an off-Broadway play um, where everybody else in the show – and when I say everyone, I, was, I mean seriously everyone else was a, a TV star. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have gone on to be movie stars now. Um, and somebody left the show without much notice and because they had to go film a TV show or a movie. And so they brought me in to replace them. And I had to learn the entire show in one day. Um, and when I say one day, I mean literally one day I learned every line I had. There's only eight people in the show. I had to learn every line in the show in one day. And then I was on stage the next day. I'm sure the other actors barely knew my real name, um, but they had to have some sort of inherent trust that I could do the job mm-hmm. uh, and show up and do it. Um, so that was a very interesting experience and one that to this day I will never, ever, ever forget. And I'm super grateful for are you? I was going to ask you for that first night. I guess with um, mm-hmm. and I, the only reason I really know this is because of that the mess that was Spider Man uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. But before you, I guess, start opening to the public, you do a bunch of shows in front of a live audience to prepare, right? Kind of. They do something called previews, right? But a, a preview performance is still paid. I mean, people are still paying to be there. All the, all the preview means is that perhaps the director will walk on stage before and say, Hey, listen, everybody, uh, we may stop during the show. This is a preview. We're not officially quote unquote open. Um, and it just basically means a preview just means that the, uh, the press, the the journalists aren't invited yet to come and review it. That's all it means. But people are still there. Yeah, uh, and okay, I'm going to ask another question before I ask the question I was just about to ask. I'm jumping ahead of myself because I'm uh, fascinated about this. So that first night, uh, when mm-hmm. you're when you're, I guess when you're opening, when you're doing it in front of a live paying audience for the very mm-hmm. first time, mm-hmm. is that just absolutely dreadful, or is that something that you just like cannot wait for? Like that is what you're doing this for? Oh, I mean, for me, it was number two. Yeah, it's it's. The nerves are, I mean, the adrenaline rush is like nothing else. Well, I've never, thank God, I've never had to fight in a war, but um, it's certainly the most adrenaline that I've ever been under is that moment where you're like, well, here we go, you know. Um, And I think that's what separates actors. You know, you're always going to be scared. You're always going to be like, oh, God, I hope this goes well. But it's the ability to fight through that and go on stage and still be able to do your best job when that happens. I, it's it's a thrilling feeling. And um, and it's actually like a drug that I that I personally chased. You know, I wanted that feeling. I loved that feeling. Uh, on the complete opposite end of things, have you ever mm-hmm. screwed up? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's never been an actor that's a stage actor that hasn't missed a line or sang a wrong note or screwed up a dance step. Oh my gosh. Thousands of times. Well, what happens? What happens when, what, what happens when you forget a line? Well, this is okay. Our mutual love for about time. Okay. You can't go (laughs) back in time and bring out the cue cards for the guy that forgets the lines of the most pivotal scene of the play. Mm -hmm. So, so, so what happens? Do you just like look at the other person like, uh, 
yeah, that's, I mean, that's when, uh, you know, rehearsal pays off and that's what trust is about. You know, you're there to tell the same story. And that's why when we talked earlier about what it's like to do the same show seven or 800 times, um, that's the importance of it is that, is that even on your fifth, 500th show, somebody might miss a line or be standing in the wrong place or who knows. And you've got to still be paying attention. You still have to be focused because you have to be ready for that. You have to be prepared for that. It happens all the time. I would say almost every night if you went, you could go to a Broadway show every night and the audience may never know what happens. Mm-hmm. But I would be willing to say that every single performance of every show, somebody screws something up. Mm-hmm. No doubt. You're going to say a wrong word and, and it's just the people that you're with on stage. We're human. Mistakes happen, you know, um, but, you, but everybody's there to cover. It's, it's a team sport. It's a team game. Yeah, I'm curious if, if, if an audience would, would take it differently if depending on the tone of the play or, or depending oh, on the tone sure. of the show. Because like one of the things that people love about Saturday Night Live is like when things just get so ridiculous, whether it's mm-hmm. just this – Hey, this isn't working. Like they're just mm-hmm. like the actors are looking at themselves. Like no one's laughing. We're just going to yeah. start laughing at ourselves. Or uh, the other end, like there's just points where the actors cannot get their line. Like you know, Jimmy Fallon was like, "Oh yeah, this because he just would laugh all the time. He wouldn't be able to get his like he would crack in the middle of a you know a live show." Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious if you think you know audiences kind of will play off that differently if it's like a death scene and you start laughing. Uh, oh, of course. That It happens all the time, wow. all the time. And different shows play into it more than others. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, some actor and some actors get away with it differently than others. Sometimes people acknowledge it. Sometimes they don't. Um, there's a huge subculture of, you know, there's fanboys and fangirls in every industry, mm-hmm. but there's a huge subculture of fanboys and girls or men or women, whatever, in um for Broadway shows that go to the shows and just sit and watch the same show dozens and dozens of times to find and point out the smallest little flubs or differences. Wow. I mean, they have their own community and they'll be like, Oh my gosh, did you see so-and-so raise their left hand today instead of their right hand, whatever. Right. Like little things like that. Or, Oh my gosh, did you hear that? Like this person did an ad lib underneath their breath. Can you believe that they did that? Um, and that's a huge subculture for sure. And people, you know, and sometimes actors will, will play into that. Of course. Yeah. It happens all the time. Have you ever been part, uh, or witness an absolute train wreck at a show where <laughs> things just like completely fall off the rails and Oh, well things like, uh, I've had huge technical things happen in a show like train wrecks in a show. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be pretty scary. Um, let's see. Uh, well, one night I was in a show, I, some basic examples I can think of are, um, one of the, okay, well, here's one. I was doing a show where one of the main characters was singing this song and all of a sudden I, I was on stage and I, I saw him and it looked like he had a stroke. I'm not saying that to be funny, but he turned totally pale mm-hmm. and just like stopped singing. Mm-hmm. He was singing a song and he had to seriously stop the orchestra and said, I'm so sorry. Hold right there with a full audience of 2000 people and said, let's go back and do that again. Just completely like something washed over, just totally blanked on what he was supposed to say and had to restart the song. Mm-hmm. That that 100% happened. Um, another time, um, somebody, what happens frequently is somebody in the audience had a heart attack and we stopped the show because the paramedics had to come and take that so that, that's Frequently. 
It does happen for, I mean, you know, I can't say it happens every day, but yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of older people go to the theater. So stuff like that happens a lot. That's true. Happens a lot. Um, I was on stage during this one dance number where one of the girls on stage, (laughs) more of a funny thing, uh, her shoe flew off and hit somebody in the audience in the face. I mean, we all just died laughing when that happened. You know, things like that happen all the time. Um, I was, you know, watching off stage. It was the end of act one and it was the big musical number and um, the, the backstage crew, something happened and they brought the curtain in too early and it hit the star of the show in the head right at the end and just kind of like knocked her to the ground. You know, stuff like that happens all the time. If OK, so so with, with all this, I mean, I, I guess you would say your your biggest success was Legally Blonde. Well, def- it depends on how you define success. It was how, my how most would you long. Define it? What, what, um, what was your like if you're if you had to make a top 10 list and what, what are you going to put number one with a bullet? Like, this is the thing that I'm going to point to is like, yep, that, that was, that was the best. Oh man. (laughs) That is so hard for me. And I'm not trying to dodge the question because the best can also be defined as so many things. I mean, it's hard to say, even though I've lost money on it um, and it only lasted for a week, it's hard to say that I did anything that was more successful than helping to produce and star in my best friend's show mm-hmm. in a festival in New York City. I mean, that's that is something that a kid that went to school in Mississippi can only dream of. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember Craig is my friend's name when Craig called and said, oh, my God, he said, Murph, uh, as he calls me, Murph, uh, he said, Murph, um, I we got accepted to the Fringe Festival. And I said, oh, my God, that's amazing. He goes, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We don't have any money. And I said, uh, he said, we can't do it. I said, we have to do it. We don't have a choice um, because we're going to look back, you know, someday and say, you know, we didn't do it when we had the chance to do it. Mm -hmm. So and again, nobody saw that, you know, there was no commercial success to it. I didn't make a penny. I put my own money into it. I helped fundraise for it. Um, but that was massively successful yet at the same time. Um, I did some commercials that paid me a significant amount of money on the front end, but they didn't feel good at all. You know, doing a show like legally blonde, the musical for over two years straight, uh, was massively successful for me because I saved a lot of money. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I saw some of my best friends in my life from it. Um, I did another job where I traveled Europe and, and Japan um, doing a rock and roll musical. And so, you know, to me, that was great fun because I got paid to travel Europe mm-hmm. and live in Japan. So, you know, and then that off-Broadway play that I did in New York City, to, you know, that's probably it because – um, I learned the whole show in a day and it was a great play. Um, you know, the guy that wrote it, uh, there's a show on TV now called Recovery Road. Um, and he wrote that show. He wrote the movie Easy A, which is a really great movie. Yeah, I um, like that movie. Yeah, yeah. He wrote Emma, this play. Emma Stone, that I right? Yeah, Emma Stone. Yep. Yeah. Um, but he wrote that play. I did Off-Broadway and he's super talented. So to, you know, to be able to say the lines of, of somebody with great talent like that was was exceptional. So, you know, for me, it was just about it really was like the stair step of success. It was like, you know, getting paid a dollar and then it was like getting paid a dollar and being able to say a line on stage. Then it was like playing a supporting character. Then it was playing a leading character. So for me, I really could, you know, stair step my career from the time I was 21 until I really retired at whatever it was, 33. Why did you retire? To Mark Fisher Fitness. 
Yeah. I mean, just, I just wanted to uh, go full out. I was ready for a change in my life. I had, I was very happy with my success in my career. Um, you know, if I could go back and hindsight's 2020 for everything, obviously there are a lot of things I would do differently. Um, and I probably would be somewhere way different than I got to, but I could either look that as a good or a bad. If I would have done something different then I probably wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing now. Um, so those quote unquote failures or things I didn't do great as an actor, um, are the reason why I am where I am today, which I'm very, very happy with. <laughs> if you could kind of like pick out your own, uh, acting gig, what would it be? Would it be that, that TV show making 22 episodes of a, a 30 minute show a year? Uh, currently or back when I was an actor right now. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, to play a superhero would be it, you know, I would love to be to be able to play a superhero. I, I think that that's, I don't know. That's every, isn't that every trainer, you know, anybody that's a trainer isn't that what we all want to do, you know, I want to be like captain America's dad or something, you know, like dad America or something. Um, I don't, I don't know anything about comic books. I don't think that's a real thing, but I just made it up. I'm pretty sure like Chris Evans is your age. Oh, is he? He's gotta be. Yeah. He's been around forever. Oh, okay. I don't know anything. Um, not that you've been around forever. That's not what I'm saying. I think you're calling me old is what you're saying. <laughs> compared to you, I am old, by the way. And compared to you, I've done nothing in my life because you are – yeah, I just I just well, told like, you this the other day when we were on the phone. I told you how great you were. Well, I'm in, like this is this is why it's you know great to, to know more than one person in life is because I'm like incredibly jealous of the stuff that you've been able to do. Mm. Um, or I guess not, not jealous. I, I guess, yeah, jealous. But um, with – with all this stuff, like uh, I've, I've talked to you a little bit about this before, but I still have this like and I've talked about this on the main show, but like I've always had this like recurring dream and I don't know why. <laughs> and I think this is like what I'm trying to do to satisfy it is that dream of, you know, for, for some reason I'm hosting Saturday Night Live like it, like every other week in my dreams, mm-hmm. like every other week. And also at the same time, I don't know my lines, which is even better. Right. Um, oh, it's the best. Yeah, like what? What do you t- like? I I was uh, I knew this this uh, woman who's like like read a book on dreams and like again it's like I don't know what what is it trying to tell you? But um, I, I want to ask you. Um, we're getting close to to an hour, but uh, you know whatever. But the the thing that I want to ask you is like what what is I guess your biggest failure with this stuff? What what was the thing that crushed you the most? When it came to when it came to acting, when it came to show business, uh, the overall category would be my own confidence. Um, I was always very insecure about a couple of my specific abilities, mm-hmm. um, and I, looking back, I can very easily recall and remember taking that into the room, literally, and I mean that by the script, when I say taken into the room, meaning when I walked into an audition, um, I can remember taking those insecurities into the room with me. And there was so much of my career that I was, I was judging my own abilities in a way that was so holding me back. Um, I was, I was playing so much smaller than I really was. And the things that were unique and different about me, I at the time looked at them as um, things that made me bad and not good enough. Hmm. Now, obviously I can see how absolutely insane and ridiculous that is at age 37. 
And I go, Brian, oh my God, but that's what made you special. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a life coach, but like really those things that I was different, I sounded different than people. I, you know, I, I did things differently. I should have exposed those and pushed them to my advantage versus being insecure about them and letting it hold me back in an uh, unconfident way when I walked into the room and, and there was one huge Broadway show that I was all the way down to the end for, for a leading role. And physically I was perfect for it. Um, and I just couldn't get past my own insecurities about my abilities. And it really totally destroyed me. Um, but you know, now I'm 37 and I just refuse to let myself show up to work at all. Oops, sorry about that. I just kicked my desk. Um, but I just refuse to let myself show up in that way anymore because it's what's different that has meant everything to my current career. Well, let's, let's talk a, a little bit about that before we, we do wrap up because mm-hmm. I, I, I mentioned this on, on the shows that we've done for the Fitcast, but it's it's amazing your ability to make people feel better um, in, in terms of just letting them know like what is great about themselves. Like even like you were talking about our conversation on the phone the other day where um, I mean, people will hopefully have seen the video or they've seen some, some audio about this, but this, this whole project has been scaring the shit out of me mm-hmm. um, because it is, the most that I've ever gone out on the internet and said, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do. I think it's going to be successful. If it's not, then wow, not only is it going to be one failure, but it's probably going to be nine, nine failures of shows. Hmm. Like, uh, hopefully the idea behind this will be like a, a, like a television or podcast network. If this show doesn't work, guess what? It's canceled. Let's, let's do something else. Let's see if we can produce Mm -hmm. something that's going to be, you know, connect with people or, or catch on. Um, but have you always been like that? Like what has made you what has made you that person to always go up to people and be like, hey, you're looking super sexy today or hey, <laughs> like, man, you're like just looking like even I know there's been times where like I've come into New York and it's like, yeah, man, I don't feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. But like, oh, it's Larrabee, like, holy crap, you're looking amazing. <laughs> like what? What what is it inside you or what what is it that makes you that person? Because I think it is so incredibly vital that there is at least some of that in everyone that is trying to help other people no matter what you do in this world. Yeah. First, let me just say how much I appreciate you noticing that. I mean, I I, I come to this with, with honestly like with the humility to say thank you um, and to say that like – I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of that is, I know it's how I've always been. My parents tell me I was always that way. You know, I, I was a, a baby and I'd be at the, you know, at a restaurant and I'd turn around and talk to the people nearby. And every time we went on vacation, I, I had left every vacation with pen pals and, and stuff like that. But, and so I also, for the people that don't know me, which is most of the people listening to this, um, it is an actual genuine thing of me. It's not just like a thing I said, if I make up bullshit that's not true about people and say it to them, they're going to like me and pay me money. It's it's not that. It really isn't. And I know you know that. Um, and the people that know me know that. Um, it, it, it comes – I honestly think that if you're somebody that wants to help people, um, that this is a great – 
skill or inherent thing that perhaps the people that are good at it have, um, which is to be able to find something um, that uh, is good um, and to see the best in somebody else in some way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So um, one thing that I've kind of hilariously at Mark Fisherman is famously good at is I can always tell 100% of the time if somebody takes a class with me or a training session with me when somebody got a haircut or got their hair done. I, it's just a thing I can just tell. And maybe it's just because like, and hopefully I hope within myself that it's because I truly see people when I see them. I actually look at them and don't just look past them. So people come and take the class and they'll be warming up. I go, oh my gosh, Billy, nice haircut. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh my God, I can't believe you noticed. And it's, it's so maybe, and I'm not trying to say that to like pump me up and sound like a total narcissist, but I, I'm hoping that it's because I care enough about people because I'm genuinely there to help them that I can just see them, right? I can just see them mm-hmm. and then hopefully I can listen to them too. And I and to me, if I'm the one person that can just actually look and listen for a second, um, you know, I don't think it's that hard to do. And I don't think it's that hard to find something kind or generous or nice or attractive about somebody, to find one good thing to see in somebody it is not that difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really, you know, you know me, I always give a challenge or uh, an authoritative statement of like what I encourage everyone out there to do is, and I fail at it sometimes. I mean, I really do. But is it that hard for me to, I ask this rhetorically, to when Kevin Larrabee comes to visit New York, uh, somebody I just truly admire and love, and I see you in person two or three times a year, is it that difficult for me to look at you and say, wow, like to acknowledge the work you've been doing for yourself. Hey man, I saw those three chin-ups you posted with a hundred pounds. I can really tell you look great. Yeah. Like, good well, work, brother. That, like, is that that door frame too? Yeah, it is a hell of a door frame, right? You, you know, I, but it's not that hard to do. And I, and I, and I think that if we would all do that a little bit more, not to sound like a total hippie here, but I'm um, not, there's anything wrong with that, but, um, it's, but it's, it's possible. And it's reciprocal. Um, yes. Like that's the whole idea with um, – and this is perfectly in line with uh, the very first episode of the Fit Ass Book Club that I'm doing with Jill Cohen. We're talking about the charisma myth. And mm-hmm. like this is right up that alley. Like you literally – if you're having a bad day, the best way that you can get out of that is compliment someone else or you yes. know, go to, you know, go say, hey, like no, Brian – I just want to let you know, man, you're, you're doing an awesome job. Like, thank, thank you so much for, for all that you do for, for the people that work here, for, you know, mm-hmm. the things that you are doing for the people that listen to Best Life Radio. Like, thank you so much for, for all that you do. And I just hope that, you know, people are coming up to you and, and telling you that all the time. Like, that's mm-hmm. like that is it makes so much sense when you think of it that way. Yeah, thanks. And it, and it really does. You know, as one of my mentors, the world famous uh, coach of selling, Zig Ziglar, always says in his books, and, and by the way, that anybody that's in sales, go back and listen and read everything that Zig Ziglar ever wrote or said. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like the grandfather of all things sales. But, um, you know, I think he says, uh, you will get what you want when you help enough other people get what they want. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the truth. It is the truth. A matter of fact, I, you know, me for Best Life Radio, my podcast, I kind of really slowed down, uh, you know, to get married at the end of the year last year. And I just had so many other things going on. 
And um, I was at the MM Lab, which Mark Fisherfin has hosted mm-hmm. uh, about a month and a half ago-ish. And I had all these trainers that I'd never met before came up to me and said, hey, what's going on with Best Life Radio? Yeah. We really love that. You do a great job. And I said, oh, my God, I had no idea anybody liked that. Mm-hmm. I had no idea trainers listened to that. I had no idea. And then what did I do? Of course, within the next week, I had my first guest uh, for this year. And then I've got, you know, three or four more people lined up coming up soon. So my point is to say, you're right. Like, we don't know that we have value. I mean, we can feel it and we can, you know, we try. But um, until people really come up to us and, and let us know, then then how will we know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um. So tell people, tell people why you appreciate them is, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and I think that's, that's a great way to, to bookend this, uh, this first show. And I like, this is, uh, been a huge honor and a pleasure to be able to do it with you, man, because not only have I learned a lot about how to, how I want to produce this show, like one, I probably, I may have done this after the fact, but do a good introduction because, you know, this isn't going to be just for the audience of the FitCast. Like, hopefully this is going to be reaching out to to so many people that just want to hear the stories of people that have, you know, been success, successful, that are motivating other people, like hearing about success and failures and how to deal with all that stuff and um, sharing what all these shows are really about are sharing stories or they're sharing mm-hmm. stories of of just amazing people and uh, hopefully you can listen to this and maybe you can take a couple bits and pieces that will help you, uh, whether it be through entertainment, whether it be through, uh, you know, self-development or um, it could just be because, uh, you know, you picked up a couple of things that may have spurred some creativity. Like it may have gotten you to like say, all right, well, yeah, I'm going to this is the thing I've always wanted to do. I'm going to get off my butt and do it if if these bozos can do it um i can totally do it i guess Um, that is absolutely true if these two bozos can do it anyone can do it yeah so what i'm going to ask uh as we we wrap this up is that uh people please uh submit feedback uh on this because as i mentioned before i have i have the first four episodes of this lined up we're going to hear from a lot of people that uh i've already discussed to through other podcasts because they're the only people crazy enough to say yes to you're starting a podcast network on this show with zero listeners uh yeah i'll give you an hour of my time so those incredibly generous people are going to be the first four guests and uh the the even better part is i think they have four of the best diverse outlooks on on life and uh their stories are all very unique um with like with brian and we talk about uh blake j harris who's a who's a book author or uh the the other guests i'm going to be having on here so it's going to be it's going to be great to talk to all those people and the thing that i'm mentioning on all the shows is that you can Find all this stuff at fitcast.network. That is the the website. You can also subscribe to this on iTunes through the Are We Recording feed. And you can you know, potentially, hopefully, support the show through the website. Hopefully, I've set something up where you can support the show because this is going to be uh, really the second, or it's, I guess it's my fifth job uh, that I do. So, I really want to make this a success and the way that it's going to happen is if people support this stuff, whether it be through feature advertising or through, you know, people just sharing, you know, the podcast, it's a big way to support the show is say, Hey, you know, I listened to Brian Patrick Murphy on, 
this show. You should go check it out because it was really cool. Um, and there's a lot more to come. So if you want to check out more of his stuff, you want to make sure that you're first subscribing to Best Life Radio because not only is there a great backlog of episodes, there's more episodes coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm recording another one coming up uh, a week from today. Somebody I'm really excited about. And we didn't even get to talk about that that transition. What got you to go to, to Mark Fisher Fitness? We'll, we'll save that for, for next time and maybe even the challenges that you've had getting into the fitness industry, if you've had any, because it seems like it's been a pretty natural transition for you. Um, but where should else should people go? I'm guessing the best place is going to be on Twitter, which is uh, all miss murph yeah Ole miss like the like the college the university o-l-e-m-i-s-s murph and yeah yeah that's on twitter that's also my instagram handle uh obviously the mark fisher fitness website markfisherfitness.com um or if anybody out there just wants to reach out to me i'll give everyone my email address it's brian at markfisherfitness.com b-r-i-a-n and uh i look forward to hearing from everybody and kevin larrabee I'm so happy for you, man. You you have a great voice, um, and and this is super important. And I, at the intro, I hope you don't mind that I'm saying this real quick. You said that you're talking to interesting and successful people, and then you introduced me as your first guest. And and I honestly looked in the mirror. I have a mirror in front of my computer right now, and I almost was a little teary eyed because um, no, seriously, man, I really appreciate you saying that, and uh, um, that means a great deal to me. So I, I really respect and support you, and I'm so excited to see where this leads you. Well, hopefully it leads to 500 episodes. Uh, you better believe it, brother. Well, we will see. And um, the the show is going to continue to evolve. I, I don't know. I mean, this this was a blast for me. So getting to talk to you for an hour is a blast. Hopefully the audience, uh, they're going to. I know they're going to. They're, they're, of course, going to think the same. Um, but this show could evolve. There, There's going to be a, a wide demographic of, of guests on the show. And again, thank you. To, to you and thank you to to you the listeners for downloading this and supporting this dream of starting a podcast network that is supported and that can be viable as a, as a business because the Fitcast Network LLC is a thing and uh, I would love to see it thrive and continue to grow because talking to people is one of my favorite things and sharing that information is vitally important to to that whole that whole thing so. Thank you, and uh, we will see you in a week with our with our next guest. Hope you tune in. Take care.